Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. So glad that you've joined me again this week. And uh, you're going to be glad you did because we're going to be talking today with Bonnie Smith Whitehouse and such a cool book called Seasons of Wonder. And I'll say more about that in just a moment um, before I introduce her. Just a reminder that we're coming up to the end of the year. If you're listening as this podcast is released, I recognize that people listen all over the map as far as time goes, and they pick and choose when they listen sometimes to podcasts. But um, regardless, this will uh, apply no matter when you listen. I appreciate your support. So many of you have faithfully supported Faith Conversations, and some of you do it you know, a certain amount per episode. One of the things that um, one of my favorite podcasts does is just say, hey, send in a $30 gift for the year and um, say, I believe in what you're doing. And here's a little gift to send you on your way. You can send that via PayPal. Uh, the address for email address for PayPal is producer at anitalustria.com. You can send it to me on Venmo, Apple Pay. It doesn't really matter. You can mail it in, mail a check-in. Um, I've gotten some really cool letters and notes from people who've mailed a check-in. So thanks so much for many of you who faithfully support this podcast, and I'm grateful for all of you who listen and share it on social media as well. Well, today, as I already mentioned, Bonnie Smith-Whitehouse is with me. She's a writer and a professor who studies storytelling, creativity, contemplation, and wonder. Pretty much that's all I need to say. Don't you want to hear from her? Don't you want her as your friend, who, someone who studies storytelling, creativity, contemplation, and wonder? Yeah, I just want to sit and talk with her for the day. Uh, she is a lifelong Episcopalian. That might connect with some of you. She has spent the last 20 years as a lay leader of St. Uh, Augustine's Episcopal Chapel at Vanderbilt University. She is professor of English and director of the honors program at Belmont University. So if you know your geography or university names, then you already know she lives in Nashville with her family. So Bonnie, welcome to Faith Conversations. Thank you. It's a delight to be here with you today. I am so happy to be talking with you. I have just recently gotten to know some of your work. Um, I've been looking at your award-winning book, Afoot and Lighthearted. I love the name of that. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes as well. And and then something else that you did that I thought was really cool, Kickstart Creativity, um, 50 Prompted Cards to Spark Inspiration. Yes. And so I know I'm talking to a creative here and, and uh, imaginative person, someone who's who is interested in wonder. And in fact, that's in the title of your new book, Seasons of Wonder, which is a 52-week devotional. That sounds like, uh, okay, let's just say that sounds like a huge undertaking to write the, a 52-day devotional. Um, 
I'm so here. This is I'm I'm trying to decide where to start with my questioning. I have so many questions for you. Um, so Bonnie, I, I want to know a little bit about your background because we don't just become people of creativity and imagination and wonder in a vacuum. I'm I'm curious about your upbringing and oh. and how you became this beautiful person that has this kind of interest and is bringing what you bring to the world. Well, what a what a wonderful question and an interesting way to begin thinking. Um, I am a person who was raised in a beautiful place, I would say, East Tennessee, Ooh, yeah. by parents who were extremely interested in um, getting my sister and I out into the woods and out into the beautiful mountains that were close by. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. I was raised in Athens, Tennessee, and um, we would spend all kinds of time over the weekends going up into the Cherokee National Forest or Mm. the Great Smoky Mountains. And so I've always been someone who loved to be out in God's creation. I was also raised as an Episcopalian. And my parents, interestingly, they... um, did not, they were not raised Episcopalian. My dad was raised in a Southern Baptist tradition. My mom was raised sort of halfway Catholic, halfway Methodist. And when they were young married people in their very early twenties, they went to our small public library and started researching and decided, you know, I think we might be Episcopalian. And they went to the very small Episcopal church in our small town and never left. And so they raised us there. And it was a space where we were very much encouraged to ask questions. And I wrote about this in the the book. I recall this ad campaign that the Episcopal Church had in the 70s and 80s. And I've done some research online and I can find the old posters, but there were posters in the parish hall and you'd walk in and it would say things like, Jesus died to take away your sins not take away your mind. Oh, nice. That kind of ethos of being thoughtful and open-minded and asking questions and loving God's creation was very much a part of my childhood, both where geographically, my love for nature and the mountains, and also in faith space, the faith space of St. Paul's, the church that I grew up in, was a place where the, the young people and the parishioners were very much invited to ask hard questions, but we I, have the backbone of the liturgy too. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So I yeah. love this so much. You mm-hmm. and I, uh, half of our lives are very different. I grew up in Northern Maine. So the outdoor space, and that was very much a part of my upbringing, but the asking questions part, not so much. I often will tell people I grew up being told what to think, not how to think. And so I, I was 40 when I kind of woke up and realized I need to learn how to think, how to think for myself, how to critically think. So it's been, you know, a journey into that. So I love that that poster. That is so good. Jesus died to, to take away your sins, not to take away your mind. Was that it? I, yeah. Oh, so yeah. I found it online. I, I can... I, 
I can send you a copy of it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I think about um, John Stott, who was, um, you know, an English British pastor and, uh, uh, and he wrote this small book, your mind matters. Mm. And, um, and that was introduced to me in college, but I still just didn't, I was still really was in a space where I was told what to think, even though yeah. a good book like that was introduced to me. So I love your, your background. And, um, and so you, well, and then let me ask this. So you talked about the outdoors, you talked about the beauty of where you grew up in your faith tradition, but you also find yourself today as a professor of English. Right. And so your love of language, where did that come from? Oh gosh, I've always been a lover of language and poetry, reading. I have two little boys who like to jump up and down and run around and be wild and crazy. I can never get them to sit still and read a book. I was completely the opposite. My mom and dad could say, go read. And I'd go in my room, shut the door and stay there for hours as a child. So I have always been um, someone who loved to read and loved to listen to poetry out loud. Um, wow. And so I studied, I, I won a couple of writing contests in high school and then decided that I wanted to be an English major in college. I had some fabulous professors. Wow. And then when I thought about what do I want to do with my life, it was sort of this tug between a space in the church or a space in school. And um, just for a variety of reasons, I stayed in school. I stayed in school. I did the PhD program. I've gone through, you know, all the hoops and um, publishing and tenure and teaching. And I love all that space as well. But um, as I've grown older and as I've become a parent, I've mm -hmm. really leaned into the spiritual piece of how much I love thinking about the divine and how much I love thinking about the Holy spirit through language as well. So that's been always been a part of who I am. Um, and contemplative practices in the past few years have opened up different spaces for me to imagine how reading and writing and contemplation can also inform my, my life as a lover of language and words. Well, I, I so I do have to ask one clarifying question. I mean, usually a, a one, a young person, especially doesn't become a lover of uh, poetry and good books without some direction from a parent or someone in your life that encourages you. You, you, you had to have had access to really good quality literature. Definitely in college, I had just some wonderful professors. Okay. I think who um, encouraged Certain writers, I mean, I, Gerard Manley Hopkins is mm -hmm. a really wonderful example of that. And some of your listeners may be familiar with Hopkins, but my introduction, um, you know, the epigraph is the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And I can still recall a professor in college teaching us Hopkins and really um, I, I just being amazed by that kind of charged language and the rhythm that he introduced into um his work called Sprung Rhythm. Um, so certainly being an English major at a, a really great school, I went to Swanee, where English was you know, like the number one major. Not many colleges have so many wow. majors. So I was, that was a big part of my undergraduate experience, um, beginning to identify as a writer and thinking about, wow, I could 
I could be a, this thing that I love so much, a writer by um, by being part of this community of writers through the Swanee Writers Conference that I, I did when I was a, an undergraduate. Um, so I think college was a really formative time for me in that way. Okay. Um, All right. That, that's helpful. I just wondered, you know, so, uh, sometimes that happens really young if we have parents that are into literature and sometimes at college is that space. And so I was curious about that. Um, let's launch into talking about seasons of wonder. Um, sure. you know, it is a 52 week devotional. The subtitle is making the ordinary sacred through projects, prayers, reflections, and rituals. And right. I, I love that. I mean, that, that tells you something right at the outset. And for me, it says, quick, open this book. This is awesome. That's what it says to me. But um, tell me who the audience is supposed to be. I'll tell you who I think the audience is. <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. Who is this written for? The, the audience is pretty expansive. Um, originally I had read uh, Richard Rohr's Universal Christ and I thought, oh, yeah. wow, this book could work for families Oh, and nice. I, I thought, gosh, wow, what, what could that potentially look like? Because I, I have young children and I'm interested in incarnational theology and what it's like to infuse everyday life with the divine. And so then I thought, well, you know, families, the book is for families, but it's also for individuals. And I think it's so. for grownups too. It's for anybody who wants to become more childlike. Yes. In the sense that they are open to questions, they're curious about the world, they are exhausted by certainty. And frankly, um, I think people who were stuck at home during the pandemic and thought, wow, what would it look like to integrate worship into my home life? Hmm. Um, that's another potential audience or a great reader for this book. Somebody who's anybody who's got family or friends or family of choice. And they want to think about weekly, easy ways to contemplate together. Um, I had a note last night on Instagram, a, a private message from a woman who had bought this book for herself and for her adult sister. And they live hours and hours apart, but their plan is to Zoom once a week and talk about the book and the themes for the week once a week together. Um, and I thought that was a beautiful way to gather. So I love families, that. but families a choice. Um, and I even think you could do it by yourself too, if you, if that was interesting to you. I, yeah, I, there's just so much about this book that I love and I, I, I'm glad you really spelled that out. I think this is for, uh, dot, dot, dot everyone <laughs> yeah. bottom line, right? There you go. So. Uh, talk about how, how it's, well, all right. One of the things, let, let me give another noticing first and have you talk about this. I love that you um, uh, were connecting this a little bit to Richard Rohr's book. I, I hadn't thought about that, That uh, I like that a lot. But you do talk um, much about the earth and connecting your readers in the exercises and what uh, you talk about in the book, which we will get into. But you, there is certainly a a very earthy focus um what where why and where did that come from uh, I am thrilled that you are saying that 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 is coming through to you as a reader um where does it come from to have an earthy focus 
I would say it comes from my deep delight and faith and hope in the incarnation. Mm-hmm. The idea that the world is infused with God, that God is not out there, but God is here. I love, and early in the book, I talk about the idea um, that, that the earth is God's body, which is uh, something that theologian Sally McFaig wrote about years ago. And it's been an idea that I've, that's been transformative for me to think about what if, what if, you know, it's not just that God is this big old man on a cloud somewhere, but that, that all um, we're infused with God's presence in the breath that we take in the grass that we walk on. And that's mm-hmm. what Jesus's birth means. And that's such an incredible way to, to sort of think about what Advent means that we're deepening our understanding of the incarnation mm-hmm. and um, the way that, that Jesus's love and God's love is infused in, I, in everyday life. I love that so much. And I think that, you know, you, yes. Um, incarnational thinking brings us back to the earth, but I think that depending on the stream of Christianity that you grew up in, a lot of people are stuck in their heads and we're not uh, brought into our bodies and certainly not connected well to the earth. And so I really did notice that about your writing and love that part of this book so much. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, talk about how how the book is laid out. I mean, obviously, we I said at the beginning, it's on the front of the book, a 52-week devotional. But what, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Well, so... Um... This is something that I worked especially hard on as I was constructing the book and putting the book together was really laying it out well. And so it's laid out in a circle, really. The book is linear, as books have to be, um, especially if they're in hard copy form. But if you look at the table of contents and at the con- the, the uh, section on page uh, Roman numeral um, 22, you can see how the months and are are sort of um, connected to the liturgical seasons as well as the calendar seasons. Mm-hmm. And so um, the the year, of course, begins on the Christian calendar with Advent. It just started this Sunday, and um, it begins with looking for the light. You know, and the darkness is we're about to have our darkest day on the twenty yeah. first. Yep. So looking for the light. And then in January, the theme is transcending dualities, um, discovering contemplation in February, embracing mystery in March, welcoming incarnation in April as Eastertide comes, nice. um, adoring creation in May, coming alive in June, thinking about resilience in July, and then in August, taking a holy pause. On the Christian calendar, we're well into ordinary time or the green season at this point. In September, we gather courage. In October, we light a fire. In November, we point to love. And then we start over again. In December, we're looking for the light again. And so the book is organized around these themes and how they play out through the calendar year as well as the liturgical calendar. So I take everybody through the seasons as as we find them on the on the calendar and in the you know, on the earth, but also through the seasons as Christians observe them through 
Lent and Eastertide and green season and Advent and Epiphany, et cetera, et cetera. I love, yes, I love the connection to the church calendar and, you know, going through the seasons that way. I'm curious, I didn't ask you this earlier, but how old are your sons? 11 and nine. 11 and nine. Oh, what a great age, <laughs> active <Yes>. age. <laughs> they are very active. I'm feeling very tired active. just hearing their, hearing their ages. <laughs> um, so bit. I'm curious if you, um, I, I'm sure that they were a part of your market, a big part of your market research, if you Absolutely. will. Right. <laughs> and, Absolutely. and that you tried out, um, many, practices and, and activities, et cetera, with them. And actually, maybe this is a point where um, I should stop and, and ask, you know, you, you walked us through the year and I love the themes. So each month has this theme, but then it's set up um, where it's a, a week at a time. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes. So talk about what a week might look like. And you could grab any particular week, but it might be interesting just to give us an idea of what what a week in a particular month might look like. And um, and then you and it might be fun for you to tell us about something that you have tried with your sons, because we might Love enjoy that. that as well. I'm going to look at week 28. OK, um, the theme of this week is release. Nice. Which, um, and, July, and this is in July. Yeah. yeah. This is in July. So in the midst of July, thinking about a very hard idea, um, in, in which we are trying to cultivate peace and equanimity within ourselves and others. Oof. So how would I walk through this really tough concept with my children, Henry and Peter, mm. um, I would begin with um, thinking about the words that I introduced the chapter with from Mirabai Star, who's done an amazing translation of um, The Interior Castle by Teresa of Avila. And I love this because I think it really gets at how to talk about this tough concept with a child. So the lines are, there is a secret place, mm. a radiant sanctuary this magnificent refuge is within you be brave and walk through the country of your own wild heart so okay. i would start with those lines and and talk to my children about what do they mean to you what does it mean to walk through the refuge of your own wild heart and um mm. how you know, beautiful Talk about how this is hard sometimes because it can be hard to make peace um, with yourself when you're not feeling peaceful with your friends or you're mm -hmm. not feeling peaceful with your family. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would ask them to wonder about situations when they immediately feel like somebody's taking them on or if they're immediately feeling defensive and how can they find a way to cultivate that peace and equanimity within their own wild hearts. And basically a good word I would, I would use for adults is composure. How do you maintain composure? Mm -hmm. um, how do you release anger and go to that special place within you where you are composed? And so then we would try something together and I would say, okay, boys, 
let's think about our bodies. How do we find a way to get peace and composure in our heart by getting activity out of our bodies? Uh. And maybe that means we live in the city. Maybe that means running outside and just running around the house three times. Or maybe it means going down in the basement and hitting the punching bag that we have in our <laughs> Of course you have yeah. a punching bag with some boys in the house. <laughs> this is something that happens in our bodies too. It's not just something that we can do in our heads, but we have to release through our bodies sometimes to get to that wild country of our heart where we can be peaceful and quiet. And then I think what I would do is just maybe after we've had some time to expel that um, physical stuff, Sit with a candle and meditate on the words of John 14, verse 27, which is about Jesus cultivating equanimity within himself and with others. And the, the words are, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Additionally, in this this week, we might do something crafty. Hmm. We might make comfrey salve. There's a recipe in this week on how to make comfrey salve. And comfrey. All right, you got to tell me what that is first. Okay. <laughs> so comfrey is a plant that our magnificent earth gives us that is used for gardening and for healing. And it is an amazing um, way to sort of you know, um, relieve pain and it's anti-inflammatory. Nice. It is, I have a real easy for easy recipe for making salve from comfrey that you can do with your families. I love uh, it. I love it's a great this. to give it Christmas. So you make it in July, you store it up and then you can give it to people in your life at Christmas. Wow. And so it's a meaningful way to sort of think about how our earth gives us peace and comfort how words from scripture can offer us peace and comfort and how we can find peace and comfort within our own bodies. So those are some things that, that I would do um, in that particular week. Okay. I, you know, I really want to just hit the pause button on the podcast and, and go back and, and just sit with that um, interior castle quote or the quote from Mirabai Star. And so what I'm thinking about is twofold. Number one, how everything you said, as you described this week 28 from July about release, how everything you said um, communicates beautifully and works 100% well with adults. Secondly, uh, because, you know, I heard that and I thought, oh, that I need this. I want this. This is just beautiful. But second, yeah, yeah. I'm, And secondly, how much we underestimate children and what they can take in. We have not done, a, I don't believe, I, I'm, I'm not meaning this in the negative way. Maybe let me turn it around. I believe we can do a better job of instilling good things into our children and bringing beautiful and important concepts to them, ways to be in the world, which is what you are offering, talking to them about how to um, be in their body and how to, and then how to calm down and be peaceful. And, uh, you know, um, our children, 
can learn and grow. Our spirituality does not begin when we turn 18 or 20. We very much underestimate the brilliance of children. Amen. Oh, good. Yes. I was sure you would say. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I feel this as I read your book that you are talking this. That's why it is transcendent. You are talking to children. You are not talking down to them. You are talking to them and you are talking to adults. You're talking to all of us. And this works for everyone beautifully. I, I just, I want to underline that with a, you know, (laughs) highlight it with a big highlighter for people that this is not just for people with young children or families. This is a book for everyone. And I think could be a beautiful companion for your year. I think um, a friend of mine told me that she thought this book would work really well for grandparents to connect. Oh, yes. And another friend um, is using the book with um, college students. So young 20-somethings, I think, also are hungry for ways to connect in meaningful ways. And also, you know, regularly, you know, just let's get this on the calendar. Every Sunday evening, we're going to have supper. And then we're going to sit together and we're going to talk a little bit about the radiant sanctuary within ourselves. Um, What does it mean? How do we all stay composed in this wild world as young 20 somethings? So I love that. So several things. One, I had thought about the grandparent piece beforehand, but I had not mentioned that. I'm so glad you raised that. Uh, I love that you brought up 20 somethings. I could see how they would connect so well to this. I think why I, as a 62 year old, love this is because I was missing this all during my growing up, you know, a contemplative way of being came to me later in life. I'm, yes, I'm a spiritual director now, but that's, that happened later in my life as someone, a wonderful pastor friend introduced me to um, the contemplative way of life. And so um, I think there are many adults that this really will connect with because they missed out on that. That was not a part of their church uh, experience or the stream that they grew up in. So I, I love it for that as well. So good. Hey, what I I loved so much how you walked us through release. I would love for you to pick one more before we close. I think just because it was a personal gift to yeah. me, just to hear um, the the bit that you elevated for us. Um, and I'm guessing it could be a nice gift for someone else, even while we're listening to this during the Advent season um, and maybe get, becoming a little bit more contemplative and aware because of the season. But this will, will kind of cast a vision for people to let them know that they can be engaged in this all year long. Let's look at week 47, which is deep into Advent. And perhaps we'll hit around the time we're listening to this podcast. It's represent. And I loved learning uh, about Francis of Assisi's. um, One of the things that we know about Francis is that in 1223, he got permission from the Pope to create the very first nativity scene. Oh, I know did that. not know this. And I, um, this is fascinating to me. So um, the theme for this week is represent. And um, 
Francis was really um, interested in, you know, the idea of beginning to celebrate Christmas because up until that point, the biggest, the big holiday had been Easter. Right. Um, and the resurrection was the primary way of thinking about celebration. And so Francis was also interested in thinking about incarnation being a way that we celebrate. So he wanted to kindle wonder into Christians by recreating the nativity. And he got a manger and a hay, hay and an ox and a donkey and set them all up in a cave in Greccio, Italy. Of course, Francis did, Mr. You know, I mean, animals yeah. and birds and all, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So people came to the cave with torches, lit torches, and they brought flowers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the idea, according to the legend, is that people said they felt the most joy they'd ever felt in their lives. Wow. Looking at this representation of the the scene of Jesus's birth. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. So I would, I would talk to my, um, my gathering, my, my friends or my parents or my kids or whomever we were all ha- hanging out with and say, okay, let's get the, let's get the nativity scene out and let's set it up. And let's talk about what that um, feels like to, first of all, to wait a little bit and not do it the day after Thanksgiving. I'm, I try to sort of peel things out in a slower way in the book and and also the advent calendar that accompanies the book for this year um which I'll make available to your listeners. Oh, thank you. The kindling wonder through really pondering and gazing upon that scene. What does it feel like um to be a shepherd attending that and to mm-hmm. looking at this moment of knowing that God is here? that we are bearing witness to this miracle of incarnation. Um, so I would you know, want to really think about what does it mean to represent Jesus in our imagination and how are rituals like putting the nativity scene together or participating in a pageant, which my sons are doing this year. My, my son, Henry, is going to be Joseph oh, and my nice. son, Peter, is going to be a reader this year. How does it, what does it feel like to represent that story and to represent God's presence mm-hmm. in other ways in your life. And then the last thing we would do is we would all gather together and chapter by chapter, you can really do it in one night and you can do it with your family or your friends or by yourself. One by one, read the chapters of one of the best books ever, Barbara Robinson's The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. Yes. Um, it can be read in one evening and it is such a great way to think about representing, um, God's presence. And, you know, the, the line that I use from the book to open the chapter is from the best Christmas pageant ever. It's about Imogene Herdman. If you remember the story in the candlelight, Imogene's face was all shiny with tears and she didn't even bother to wipe them away. Imogene is is Mary. Mm-hmm. She just sat there, awful old Imogene in her crookedy veil, crying and crying and crying. Well, it was the best Christmas pageant we ever had. So really thinking about that story and how Imogene represented Mary 
talking about it together and then singing an often overlooked song, The Friendly Beasts, which I've included in the book because I love so much. The Friendly Beasts um, is a song that originated in France to honor the donkey that helped the Holy Family flee Egypt as Herod oh. was trying to have them killed. And I it's love great, this. great song. <laughs> it was written around the same time as Francis began the nativity tradition in Italy. So representing um, must have been in the air in in the the 13th century. You know, let's, how do we represent the donkey? How do we represent the nativity? Now, can, can, I love that you have this in here, the friendly beast, all of those stanzas. Can you Google and find out a, um, a, the tune for this? Yeah. It's an easy tune. Um, a real easy tune to find and um oh, good I love this so I mean much. I can sing I'll sing a couple lines just um so you'll know oh but, good um, sure it's just Jesus our brother strong and good was humbly born in a stable rude and the friendly beasts around him stood jesus our brother kind and good oh, real easy yes. families and um you can find it online that's the beautiful two. i love that so much so good. much i'm sitting here going i don't want to be in your classroom but you know what oh. i i get to be because i have yeah. your book <laughs> love that <laughs> so much what a treat um i this is just such a different kind of resource and i wanted to talk about it and elevate it and bring it to people's attention and you are just delightful bonnie so appreciate you and um the the work that has gone into this beautiful and i think important book and helpful book so thank you for being with thank us you. thank you so much for your time thank you to your audience for listening and um, and for embracing wonder, I think mm. we talk about certainty when we talk about faith too much. We need to back off from certainty a little bit and and wonder more. It's okay. It's okay to to you know um, be more childlike, to be uh, more curious. And I Amen. hope that we can all embrace that in this season, that season of Advent. Amen. Oh. Bonnie Smith Whitehouse, and the book is called Seasons of Wonder. All of the information will be linked in the show notes. And again, Bonnie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, as always, I say to everyone, I'll say it again, keep the conversation going. <laughs>